Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents He's in the building! Afternoon Tea with host Sammy Sage. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. Presented by the Betches Sup Podcast. You better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down. Your weekly dose of political therapy. Cardi, that's what I've been doing my whole life. And now, with this week's guest... Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Your host, Sammy Sage. Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and weekly political therapy session brought to you by the Betches Sup. Today's guest is Chastin Buttigieg, husband of Transportation Secretary and former presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg and author of the book, I Have Something to Tell You. Chastin is here to tell us what it's been like navigating his rapid rise in the public eye, what it's like to be a political spouse and his story of growing up gay in the Midwest and how it brought him to where he is now. With that, let's get the tea from Chastin. Welcome, Chastin. I am so excited to be speaking with you. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, we are we are pretty big fans of you at the Betches Sup, so we are we're thrilled to be sitting down for a little chat right now. I'm big fans of yours. You bring me laughs every day. Thank you. I definitely notice when you like our posts. I'm like, oh yes, validation. <laughs> uh, there was a time when I was so terrified of like messing up and getting in trouble, especially on the campaign, that I was like. Am I allowed to follow Betches? <laughs> well, and then I'm you know, like, one day I was like, "This is stupid. I'm, I'm going to follow things that make me laugh." Yes, yes, you got to, you got to do you. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Before we start, um, you tweeted something about pandemic weight gain that really spoke to me. I've been thinking about oh, it yeah. every day since about how you had gained some weight during the pandemic, and your friend just kind of encouraged you to dress your current body. And I, so, so how are you, I mean, I'm definitely stressed about that myself, but how are you feeling about that right now? I'm okay. I mean, I still feel stressed, especially, you know, now that DC is opening up and I feel pressured to like go to more social functions. Like, I don't know if that suit still fits, but, um, you know, I'm in my, I'm in my stretchy shorts right now. And I feel like we just put so much pressure on ourselves. Right. And when I was having this conversation with a good friend, I was just being so mean to myself um, you know, like everyone had a different lockdown and some people like perfected the sourdough recipe and some people, you know, hit the Peloton every day. And that's just not how it worked for me. And, you know, I kind of slipped into a, a funk and I'm trying to figure out like what to do with my life. <laughs> and um, I gained some weight and I feel like, you know, my good friend was like, well, why don't you just dress the body you have and that way you're comfortable and then you can go from there. And it's so true. Right. I mean, DC can be a pretty toxic place sometimes. And I feel like a lot of people there are very focused on their body image because, you know, to be um, very healthy and attractive is to be more powerful. Um, it's a city sort of focused on power. And I had all these thoughts in my head about, you know, trying to be the best version of myself there. And I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm buying stretchy pants and I'm going to go from there. I'm totally with you on that. Um, it is it is definitely stressful, but just it is helpful to know that 
I'm not alone. We're not alone. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are relating to this. But so, okay, so you didn't hit the Peloton. You didn't perfect the sourdough recipe. (laughs) A couple times, but not enough. Yeah, just, just, yeah. (laughs) So what, what did you do during the pandemic? What, I mean, you were going through a pretty crazy transitional time for part of it. Um, So what, what did you do to keep yourself sane or even just not sane, just as sort of like entertainment? Well, you know, we ended Pete's campaign and then we came home and like a week or so later, we went into lockdown and, um, you know, I had, I had booked us a vacation and I had all these plans, like seeing friends and family that we hadn't been able to really spend time with, um, because of the campaign. Um, and then, you know, we, we jumped right into campaigning for president Biden, vice president Kamala Harris. Pete was doing, I mean, we did hundreds of events from our, you know, home office But Pete was kind of like, he's just working, working, working. I finished writing my book. Um, And then once I like came up from air uh, for air after writing the book, it was like, oh, oh shit. Like I'm just here, you know, and I don't know what's next. Like, can I go back to teaching? Do I have to wait and see how the election goes? Um, And so it was a little funkier of a time for me. Um, And it still kind of is right. And then we moved to DC and we got settled and we had to sell a house and move a house and, um, so I kind of coped with, uh, especially now reconnecting with friends, but sitting on the couch, trying to read, but not being very successful. Cause you know, a very short attention span during the pandemic. And the same paragraph over and over Yeah, until you're just like, television. I'm watching TV. What are yeah. you, what are you watching? I have to ask. Oh, I just finished shrill. Um, oh, good. Good show. I love shrill. And then the other day I was sitting here at the table and I just, um binged all of broad city in like two days it's a great show to like rewatch. yeah kind of in the background i love those two um are you a bravo I'm, fan i shouldn't say i'm not a fan i don't watch it very much i don't watch like okay. television it's kind of like netflix and hulu okay you watch um, like you're the streamer you're i the was really into um roni yeah uh, and then i had to i had to move on um, okay. But yeah, I just I just finished uh, a friend staying with me, so I was like, "Wait, you've never seen Fleabag?" So we did a full binge of that one day. Um, Shit's Creek was early pandemic, and binged all of that. And that's actually one show that Pete binged with me. He does not binge television because I don't know he's busy or something. He's and, reading. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's like working. And yeah. uh, that was actually one show where he was like, "Well, I guess we can watch another episode." And I was like, "Well, I guess we can watch another episode." Yeah. So I have to ask, um, yeah. I have so many questions about everything you just said, but we're going to try to do one at a time. Um, so, I mean, even this, the past two years, let's say, I mean, it must have been crazy going straight from the campaign to the pandemic, because that was mm-hmm. not how you expected things to go, I imagine. But how has it been for you going from essentially anonymity to your household name, you know? Yeah. How does how is that transition for you, especially with everything else happening? Yeah, it can still be pretty surreal, you know, uh, going into CVS or Target and people spot you, they spot you like getting toilet paper or deodorant or something, and you like forget that you're not anonymous. Um, and most of the time, when I'm talking with people out in public, it's really positive, and and that it means a lot to me, especially when people. Um, reflect on something that happened during the campaign or just seeing a, you know, really visible gay couple out there or something that um, resonated with their kid who might identify as LGBTQ. 
Um, but it, it, it is still kind of weird. You know, sometimes I just want to go out for drinks with my friends or I, I don't want to always be worried about, you know, who's behind me and who might be recording me and who's going to ambush me or, you know, now, especially being in DC, it's like these Pete sightings, like everywhere, you know, Pete went out for dinner the other night and the restaurant put out a press release about like what he ordered and how he talks to the, you know, the wait staff. Um, quite respectfully, I must say, but you know, it's just like, Oh, people are going to put out press releases when we go get tacos. Like that's, that can be a little scary sometimes. Did you like being the first gentleman hopeful or even the first gentleman of South Bend or do you (laughs) prefer being the husband of cabinet secretary? I appreciated the opportunity on the campaign to do some really good work. So we were kind of able to divide and conquer. I could go to a lot of places Pete couldn't get to. And I really prioritized the LGBTQ community and every, every place that I was visiting, I was seeing their LGBTQ center or, um, you know, visiting a service provider. And it, it was really good work. Um, I ended the day really tired. Uh, There's a lot of vulnerability fatigue, kind of putting yourself out there and retelling my story over and over and over again. Um, but you know, I ran away from home when I was 17, when I came out and then I would sit in these rooms with like other queer kids who feel like, you know, who's this guy, he must not understand, you know, what it's like to run away from home or, you know, to be on the outside of inclusion. And then I could have these really profound, meaningful conversations with young people. And I really liked that. I loved being that person in the room that helped other people feel seen and understood. Um, it's what I was doing in the classroom with my middle schoolers. And then I just felt like I could you know, magnify it out on the campaign trail. Um, now it's a little bit different. The dynamic's just a little bit different because we were campaigning and uh, now, you know, uh, my husband uh, has a very high profile job and want to do my best to make the administration proud and, um, you know, not get in the way and not mess it up, not sink the ship. That's always the biggest fear, right? Don't be the one that sinks the ship. So yeah. Can you hear the anxiety? So much anxiety. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I completely understand, like, not obviously in any way as high profile, but just like the world now with everybody sort of like being hyper aware of what everyone else is doing and saying and, and anything can really become so much bigger than it was intended to be. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. How has it affected your relationship? Has has Peter stayed humble? 
Like, <laughs> I can't even imagine because, you know, you're there's so many. Di- I'm just thinking, trying to put myself in your shoes with like all the transitions you're going through. Yeah. They're intense. Um, yeah. yeah. So how how is it, you know, affected your relationship if you yeah. if you're willing to talk about? Oh, it? Oh, yeah. No, you know, I'm, I'm really, really lucky. I married a good one. Mm-hmm. And he knows that this transition has not been easy for me. Um, he knew the campaign was really hard. Um, and then going into lockdown was difficult and then making the decision to move to DC, um, is difficult. And to be honest, you know, it hasn't always been the easiest on my mental health. And, you know, I had just finished grad school, um, a year or so before he launched his campaign. And I, I had found a career that I really liked. I felt like I was, you know, cooking with gas when I was in the classroom. Like I finally found the thing I'm good at. And then I left and we campaigned and now life is very different. And he knows that that's a really rough transition and it takes time. And so sometimes, you know, I need space and sometimes I really need, you know, the, the rock to lean on. And he's been um, a phenomenal partner through all of it. And he really prioritized my well-being and my mental health throughout the campaign. Um, you know, when there are times like I need to go home I need to take a breather uh, or like, I just need to be with you, you know, um, because Pete, Pete was so familiar with the political world for so long. And it was so new to me um, where I, it was more uncomfortable for me to be in some of those positions, but he's always, he's always done a really good job of taking care of me and checking in with me. Sometimes he calls like, shouldn't you like be in a meeting or like doing something, you know, like I'm watching the news on Twitter and it seems like it's a pretty rough day. He's like, I'm just checking on you. I just want to make sure that you're okay. And um, that means a lot. It means a lot to have a partner who really is in it with you. Um, especially, you know, it's it's always good at the peaks, but it's in the valleys where you really see a partnership shine. Yeah, no, that's so amazing. I love, I love hearing that. I love hearing that he does that for you. And yeah, I mean, I can just imagine it is it is a real journey with everything you're <laughs> yeah. dealing with. So do you um you said that you had just, you know, really gotten in the flow with teaching. Um I have to wonder, do you and um our first lady ever bond about your love of teaching? Um what is what is that like? Yeah, we've talked about it before. It was kind of one of our, you know, p- the thing that we had in common and it was very easy to connect. Um uh, understandably, she's a little busy now, uh, but right. it was always lovely running into her on the campaign trail. And her, uh, her and uh, Doug, they were both like just genuine people. You know, they we could just talk about family and our partners backstage at events, and it, it never felt artificial. It, it didn't feel forced. Um, but yeah, that was a very easy thing to sort of start a friendship with was like, oh, we, we both share this love for teaching. What is, I have to ask, what is she like in person? She kind of has Behind this, the scenes. She just kind of like radiates love and leadership. Like she's kind of one of those people in the room where you're like, okay, Jill Biden is in the room, you know, but she, it's not in like an off-putting way. It's kind of very similar to Michelle Obama where you're like, I'm a little intimidated with you, um, but I would also like to be your friend, you know? Right, um, right. And she, That's so the, nice. yeah, I, it was, I think it was the very first presidential can, or, um, debate. And I walked into the room and I was just such a bundle of nerves. And um, someone had told her that, you know, oh, that's, that's Pete Buttigieg's partner coming into the room. And at that time, like Pete was like, he had barely made the, you know, the debate stage and nobody really knew who he was. And 
she like leapt out of her chair and gave me a hug and said hello and like welcomed me into the you know into the arena and it was very very nice and and then doug was seated next to her and, and he stood up and shook my hand and said it was nice to me and i just remember thinking like wow that is not how i thought this was gonna go at all Right. I mean, I do feel like, you know, had you been at the Republican primary debate, it might have felt like a different vibe. But my, you know, my, my impression of, you know, the Bidens and I don't that the cat, the Harris Emhoffs is that they are quite down to earth, sort of just regular people who are looking to, you yeah. know, serve the public, which is what it really, you know, what being a politician really should be. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to go back to, um, you know, talking about the decision pre-pandemic, the decision to concede. Um, how yeah. was how how was that experience, um, like kind of that end of the campaign between Iowa and the concession? Yeah. It was such a roller coaster. Because, yeah. um, you know, we, we got to New Hampshire and we were just hoping and hoping and hoping that they would finalize, you know, the win in Iowa and the, the news cycle moves fast and he never really got, he never really got the win, you know, and, um, you know, leaving New Hampshire and going to Nevada. And it just kind of felt like you sort of knew like clouds were clouds were forming. But by the time he made the decision, it like, I, I sort of already knew that it was probably going to be over. And I could tell that when he was, we were in a, our hotel room, it was just the two of us. Um, and I could tell that he was, you know, thinking about whether or not it was time to, to pull the plug. And I remember walking over to him and just saying like, let's, let's go home. Like, it's okay. Like, let's just, oh, we yeah. get to be, we get to be together now. You know, this is, um, it's not the end. Uh, and I could just tell that he had made up his mind and he just needed to hear it from me. Right. Um, and it was very emotional because you know, for a hot second there, it felt like, oh my God, we might win this thing. And then, you know, it dipped so quickly where then it was like, oh my God, the thought of like going home and going to our dogs and our family and our friends and kind of, at that time I felt like, well, maybe we can go back to normal. And I didn't realize no. that like there was no normal anymore. Right, right. Because even if, even if there hadn't been a pandemic, like the next day, you still were, you know, it was within the past month, everyone knew who you were. So it was, you know, you were, yeah. you were going to make a mark regardless <laughs> of whether, you know, he conceded. Did, did, do you ever give him advice? Um, I guess my original question was asking about on the campaign trail, but, you know, do you, you know, are you like his advisor or just, <laughs> you know, your emotional support? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, to be a political spouse is to be everything. Because you right. want to keep them grounded. You want to remind them of who they are. And I never really felt like Pete needed rem like to be reminded, like, that's not you. Or, you know, like right. you would never say something like that. Like, the thing I love about Pete is, you know, he ran the race as himself. He wasn't trying to be anybody else. And I didn't really have to pull him aside being like, I don't really think, you know, this is who you authentically are. I, I appreciated that about him. But I think you, as a political spouse, you uh, are always sort of a confidant, an advisor, um, and the hard part is as the spouse, like everyone's job on a campaign is to like, get the ship, like get the rocket ship blasting off as fast as possible, you know, like go far and go high. 
And as a spouse, sometimes your job is you're like holding onto the rope attached to the rocket and you're supposed to pull them down to earth every now and then. And so you're also competing with, you know, 500 staffers who are trying to get him to go, go, go. And your job sometimes is to be like, you need to take a break. You need to take a nap. You need, you know, to drink some water. Um, you need to call your mom. And uh, mm-hmm. that's not always what the team wants to hear, right? They're always like, right. one more call, one more stop, one more state. Um, and sometimes your job as the spouse is to be like, or one more hour of sleep, right? Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I think I'm always chiming in here and there. I don't know if my advice is always the best, but... Do you like being a political spouse? Like, are you, do you feel like you're getting more of like the Jackie Kennedy treatment or like the Hillary Clinton treatment? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know. I try not to read my own press. What do you think I'm getting? I think you're definitely closer to the Jackie Kennedy treatment. Like, wow. I, was, I was reading, you know, obviously I was like researching for this interview and I was like reading, you got some good headlines like oh. Chaston is Pete's secret weapon. <laughs> Which, like, I see, because I feel like you have that um, that charming Twitter personality that, like, oh, you're like, oh, I want to be friends with him. And then you're like, oh, like, Pete must be so great if he has this husband who's so funny. <laughs> like, that's, Gosh, that's kind humbling. of, um, that is sort of the, the more social press rather than the political press. Yeah. I yeah. guess, you know, uh, it's, I try not to like read it. I try not to. And then, you know, when I see something, I try not to read too far into it. Twitter is like, you know, a, yeah. a tiny little fraction of the American population and it's not representative of everyone's thinking. And even though we all like to be on there, um, I, I really liked being myself on the campaign trail. I love showing up places and being like, well, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, then like, you know, oh, well, cause I, I just can't, do I can't like step into this arena and pretend to be someone else. Like I'm already too nervous and I'm, I'm anxious. Um, and I'm already like confused. You know, I went from teaching middle school to like spending hours in like policy roundtables, like trying to know all of his policies from left to right and, you know, in media training. So when people would like catch me on a microphone, you know, um, I, I knew how to answer a question without getting, you know, sidetracked. And I, uh, was just in this new world. I was like, well, if I have to do all this, like I just have to be myself. And I'm glad that it, it resonated with people. Twitter, the Twitter thing was interesting because I wasn't, I wasn't like intentionally trying to be anyone on Twitter. I was just being myself. And then <laughs> the scary part is it took off, you know, and I went from like a thousand followers to like hundreds of thousands of followers. And then everyone was like, don't mess up, but just be yeah. yourself. You know, and then like, don't say anything bad, but just be yourself. Right. Well, I think what I think what um probably was what 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 made, you know, you blow up was that you were being authentic on Twitter. And I think that there's something disarming about authenticity in a world where things are kind of inauthentic especially oh, when we're sure. talking about politics, like the Democratic yeah. primary, where everyone's like, oh, let me go eat a corn dog. Like, in yeah. Iowa. like yeah. <laughs> to I be mean, fair, it did so, look like Pete was having a great time at the state fair. I didn't get to I go. I mean, he's from the Midwest. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I... He, this is his... That, that fine. I believe yeah. that is authentic. But, like, <laughs> is... Uh, you know, I don't know. I can't even remember who half the candidates were at this point. But, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a process. Well, everything sometimes feels so canned and planned and like, 
I remember going to a pizza place in Iowa that was known for its ranch dressing. Do you remember like ranch dressing girl? Yeah. And she was like, I'm just trying to get some ranch. And she was like moving through the, I don't forget what candidate was there, but they all thought like she was making her way to the candidate. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm just trying to get some ranch. And then we ended up doing an event there and I got a pizza to go so we could eat in the car and I got the ranch dressing. And then I remember like all these reporters following us to the car and they were like, did you get the ranch dressing? Did you get the ranch dressing? Chasson, how's the ranch dressing? What pizza did you get? What's on the pizza? And it was like, what? Yeah. The? That was like one of my first, like, what the hell is going on? Like, of course, well, one, of course I got the ranch dressing. This is the right. Midwest. But like, right. two, like people are really interested in this stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's, there's the politics part and then there's like the theater part. And yes. And they here's here's what I'm like. I'm thinking like Bernie Sanders at the Iowa State Fair is like, that's not a mix, but he has to do that anyway. Yeah, there's <laughs> something about Bernie that's probably like this is you know, and I think well, I think a lot of people in politics that you have to do so much um, for the camera, right? Like presidential yeah. debates are 99% theater. It's yeah. about like getting the clip out, getting the line out getting a viral clip so that people keep talking about it in the news. And that was so antithetical to what like Pete's whole, you know, ethos is about. But um, so I think that's why I did okay out there because I have a degree in theater. (laughs) And I was like comfortable being in front of people and, you know, um, had a couple of years of improv under my belt. And was just like, well, I can roll with this as long as I can be myself, you know? Right. As long as I'm allowed to get the ranch dressing. (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm not going to pretend I'm, you know, this, like, health conscious, you know, super husband who's, like, not going to get the pizza on the ranch. Like, I'm going to get the pizza on the ranch. That's me. Yeah, that's that's good. Okay, so I want to switch gears a little bit um, yeah. because it is Pride Month and you did just come yeah. out with a book. Congratulations. About Thank you growing so much. Up, yeah, about growing up gay in the Midwest. And I know you definitely have a lot of emotional labor to do telling your story. But I guess to make it easier on you, can you sum up the book in the set in one sentence and we can all read it later? In one sentence? Oh, God. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you more. So it's not yeah. like this is the end of the conversation about the book. Don't Anxious worry. Anxious <laughs> queer kid tries to figure it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, when I they asked me to write a book and I, I was really touched. But I was like, I can't write a memoir. Like I want, I don't consider myself, you know, a profound writer like Pete is. And I was like, well, can I just do essays? Like, I don't know if I want to do a memoir. Like in politics, it has to be a memoir. It has to be like your face and your right. name. And it's like, oh, yeah. come on. And I, there was so much pressure, but I was like, well, I'm going to do it my way. Like, I'm going to talk about the hard stuff and the depressing stuff. And I'm going to talk about things that people don't, people in politics don't talk about, you know, because I want to tell my authentic story. And so much of my story leading up to Pete was hard, you know? Yeah. And they were they were chill with that, but um, it was definitely um, really hard sometimes to to put it on the page and to hit send and know that it was going to be out there in the world. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate as a podcaster to vulnerability. I call them vulnerability hangovers. Yeah, um, and it's like after you tell a story or put something out there for the first time, it's just that like, oh my god, should I not have said it? Like, what are they right. going to think? Now it's out there. Everyone knows. When they see me, they might think about it. I was reading about how you'd said you kind of been through a bit of the relationship ringer before you met Pete. 
So what was, you know, what were some of the formative, I guess, experiences or lessons you took from that? Oh, sure. You know, I, I always came back to this idea of writing a book for my younger self. Like what would I have appreciated reading when I was 17 and thinking about, you know, young Chaston picking up this book and seeing himself on the page. I definitely didn't have a book like that when I was growing up. Um, I grew up in a place where I felt that being gay was wrong. It was something was wrong with inside of me. Something was twisted or off. Um, I didn't know any gay people growing up. So I ran away from home. And shortly after coming out, I was sexually assaulted. Um, and I felt like it was really important to write that down so that if any you know younger queer person picked it up, they could see what I wish I would have done differently, but also the reality of some of those situations. You know, when you rush into love, um, some things that can break your heart. Um, and I didn't want to just write this story that was like, well, I grew up gay in the Midwest and then I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and now here I am, you know, it, that's, that wasn't my story. And in many ways, like I, I didn't really have my shit figured out until, you know, a few months before I met Pete, I was finally like going to grad school and I was getting my career, uh, in order. And there was just so many bumps in the road on the way to Pete getting cheated on, and you know, dumped in the worst ways and just men being toxic and awful. And I just feel like that vulnerability in politics is not allowed because if you're vulnerable, then you look weak. And if you don't put up, put forward this front that like, I have it all figured out and I am, you know, this, this perfect person, then somehow you are weaker and not capable of doing your job. But if you pretend to have it all figured out, then how are people going to relate to you? And how are people going to know like, Oh, he gets it, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important for people to read stories like that, especially in politics where you're not really allowed to be vulnerable or imperfect because, you know, whatever anyone, you know, whatever challenges someone has faced, like, I think they probably would look at you and be like, oh, wow, he really, look at his, look at his life. It must be so great. But to know that it's like, that's not all of who you are, that there was a path to yeah. get there and the path was not as shiny as what it looks like now yeah and then i mean try to be really conscious of like the privilege i also sit in you know and i got to go home my parents called me home and just try to talk about all of that in the book but i did my very best to like put it all out there like mm -hmm. this is who i am and if you really want to know who i am like here it is here's and you can read it and then i remember kind of tying this back to your question about you know what what it's like being a political spouse like i remember one of the first official book reviews was like it was a missed opportunity he didn't oh. he didn't like clean up um you know things on pete's campaign and you know there wasn't a lot about pete in there and it was like <laughs> it's is, my is that your job story it's literally right. my memoir it's my life story and it, it was kind of just so indicative of how you are viewed in politics Right. Like, yeah. sure, it's your story, but just talk about yourself. <laughs> right. It's like you're not there to be a pawn for your husband. But honestly, I feel like that is such like an old school way of looking at pol politics and political figures. It's like that's all going to go away because the truth is, like, maybe it wasn't possible to be vulnerable for like politicians in the 90s and early 2000s. But now that there's social media and like, 
You have AOC showing herself with her dog and she goes on live and talks about the trauma of the insurrection. Like there's not going to be this ability to polish everything because we're watching people live and we're seeing their experiences and we're seeing the imperfections. Whereas like I think in the past, politicians were like getting there and then they were revising their path. Yeah. In hindsight. And now you have like all of these like old straight white Republican men who are like, oh, look at AOC crying on Instagram live about the insurrection. And you know what millions and millions of young people are seeing is someone being vulnerable about their mental health and their experiences. And that's why people connect with her. And that's why it's so important for politicians to be more authentic and and to talk about their lived experiences because now that we do have social media, we can connect with people so quickly and so easily. And people just want to know that you're there for the right reasons. They want to know that you understand them and that you're fighting for them and that you get what it's like to be in their shoes. And I think that's where you see the inauthenticity just shine across the aisle, that they have no idea what they're there for, or what they're doing. No, it's it's so true. The Yeah, I really do feel like the key to the future is authenticity in politics or really anything. But um, so I have one one last question before we get to, we're going to play a game. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Um, it's not a competitive game. So. Oh, well then. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun game. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but for pride, I am asking all of our guests this month, what was your favorite pride? Like which year oh, or moment or whatever it might be? It was on the campaign trail. Um, my hometown here in Michigan didn't have pride until 2014. Um, so that was after I left home, after I left Traverse City. And I got to come home during pride on the campaign trail. And I spoke here in my hometown. And then they had a, a visibility march. And it was not corporate sponsored. It was literally just like people. My friends flew in because it was also my birthday. They surprised me oh. and I hadn't seen my friends in so long. And, you know, it was like my mom was wearing a proud mom shirt and my family marched with me and my friends marched with me. And it was literally just a visibility march. We walked down Front Street. There were like diners outside who were like looking at us like, what the hell is happening? You know, we were literally just saying we're here, we're queer, get used to it. And it was so powerful to think that this was the place I ran away from. This is the place I never felt like I would belong and also never feel like I would have, you know, friends and family to be surrounded by my friends, by my family in my hometown, walking down front street. Also as the husband of this major presidential candidate was just, I, I can't put into words what that day I have goosebumps talking about it. It was one of the best days of my life feeling like I had fully come into my being and I was so proud of myself and proud of my family in my hometown that is really amazing. I can't, that really sounds like just a beautiful full circle moment for yeah. you. So that is, that is really awesome. And I hope that, you know, future prides are able to live up in, in similar ways. Yeah. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options? Feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes – 
Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Okay, so now we're going to play a game. It is called Okay. It is called What Do You Do DC Edition. So, <laughs> you've you like you said, you are new to DC and yeah. I imagine that with, you know, being a political spouse comes a whole set of weird etiquettes, weird, you know, <laughs> set yeah. snafus that you could get yourself into that you never even thought of. So, I'm yeah. going to give you situations or questions okay. and you just answer them. <laughs> oh no. That's the game. Okay. Okay, so first one. You and Pete have to share a communal table with either Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greene and their significant others. Who do you choose to share the communal table with? I don't care. Um, I can totally see, um, I mean, my husband worked with Mike Pence for years, so I can totally see him being able to um, be the bigger person and carry on a conversation if it's necessary, but also completely ignore the people at the communal table. So that one, I, I think I, I would do okay with. Okay. You can handle it. You can handle it. I didn't answer your question. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't which one to, would you um, prefer? Oh God, I don't care. Um, Cause they're just equally unpleasant. <laughs> I will. They definitely don't care about our existence. So um, whatever you send your worst. And we'll do our best. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Fine. Sorry. I well, my question is: Is Matt Gates with his fiance beard, or is he with um, one of the young children? Completely inappropriate, and they better hold him accountable. Yeah, completely. Okay. Next one. You physically bump into Bernie Sanders in the bathroom, but he says <laughs> nothing. He says nothing. He just keeps going. How do you react? What do you say? What do you do? Do you just yeah? This situation has actually not with Bernie, but a very similar situation. <laughs> and I'm going to write it about it one day in a book. Um, Who was it? I would, I would probably just say uh, hi to Jane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love that. How is Jane? What's, what's Jane like? I don't know. I, I got to share a couple conversations with her. We sat next to one another at the debates, but um, I haven't really gotten to like have a conversation with her. It was always like in a commercial break where, you know, you're trying to check your phone and do a thousand things, not conducive to like a real conversation. Yeah. I don't really see either of them as like in the crew or going to hang. Yeah. No, not that vibe. I don't know, but I, I would love to, I'm always looking to have like a productive conversation with people, you know, at least people a little bit different than like having dinner with, um, some of those congresspersons you mentioned, I, I think <laughs> spouses specifically can learn so much from one another because we all go through very different things. And I, I bet I could learn from her and, you know, we can share a few, swap a few stories about our experiences out on the trail. I find spouses of public figures to be, for, for me to talk to, a little bit more interesting because there's more candidness in the conversation. You almost got to know the person, the spouse better through yeah. 
their spouse. Well, it's also hard because like they always say like we humanize the candidate, but we're allowed to talk about dinner parties and books and Hulu. And I feel like when you're a, a candidate or, you know, an official, you have to like talk about whatever, like the, the infrastructure package, or you, you got to like get these points across and you have like a job to do, which I, I felt bad for Pete along the way. They'd ask him like the same 10 questions every day. And then they'd be like, you're a robot. You only say the same things over and over again. Like I, just, <laughs> I have to get my platform across, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a challenge of the job. <laughs> Okay, so speaking of Pete, okay, here's right. another situation involving him. He has a mic on. You get caught in his hot mic asking him to bring home some gas X, and you're later asked about it in an interview. How do you explain the incident? Everybody poops. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. I don't know. I think I'm more of a Pepto guy, but um, no, we don't. I'm a teacher. We don't brush that stuff under the rug. Okay, good. Good. I like that. Okay. Now here's just, uh, okay, we have two sort of similar questions, just an opinion. Which cabinet secretary and their spouse or partner would you and Pete most enjoy being on a double date with? Oh, goodness. I did get to meet um, Jennifer Granholm and her lovely husband. And that was, that was, you know, cool for me because she was the governor of Michigan and I'm from Michigan. So we had a lot to talk about. That, that's, I like that. Okay. Which cabinet secretary would you most want to host a dinner party for and what would you serve? Oh, gosh. Um, you can cater, by the way. So I can cater? You don't have to cook. Oh. Yeah, but what would you, where would you cater from? Oh, I don't know. Well, that's the what thing. Like, cuisine? In D.C., it's, oh, we haven't been allowed to like, do anything because we've been in lockdown. So I get like takeout and I'm sitting in this like 800-square-foot apartment. Um, I want to meet yeah. all of them. I, I really want to – and I, well, I really want to meet their spouses – um, and have this like, what's going on? You know, what has this transition been like for you? Because some of them have kids and they have careers, um, which was really interesting uh, to, to hear from uh, Jennifer Granholm's husband, um, just about like what it, you know, what it's like bouncing between the coasts and he's still trying to teach. So I don't know. I'd probably cater from what's a good, are you familiar with DC? Are you in DC? A li- I'm not in DC. I'm in New York, but I've been to DC. So I know some places I might have heard of them. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't know anything about D.C. still. So I don't know where I'd cater from. Um, okay. We'd, we'd probably have to do it in the community room in our building because our apartment wouldn't be big enough, you know? There's no, like, there's no, uh, you can't do it at the at the location, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the, the ethics rules are. Yeah, when in doubt, just say no. Okay, next question. Major Biden gets into a scuffle with Buddy and Truman <laughs> at the dog park. <laughs> Oh, do you send them the veterinary bill oh it's that bad there's a vet bill i don't know how much the vet bill is but it's there is a vet bill jill biden strikes me as the person who would call immediately um and and figure out how she could help yeah okay so so yeah although i'm so midwestern i can't imagine sending anyone a bill ever (laughs) like well i guess i'll just have to eat this yeah (laughs) well let's say it's like maybe maybe one of the dogs needs like a real situation you know it's a terrible thing to think about i know horrible do you have pet insurance this is really funny this is what pete and i talked about on the phone last night um you should really get it yes we're i just looked into it literally this morning i was like can we get pet insurance through the our insurance company we can had no idea yeah we never really needed it and now our our dogs are getting older and Pet insurance, like, is what helps me sleep at night because I know that if there's ever, like, a sudden thing, I have two dogs as well. So if there's ever a thing, 
That's really funny that you bring it up. They'll take care of it. Literally one of the topics of the week um, because Buddy's been going through a lot. So I couldn't recommend it more. Okay, and here's our last question. Okie doke. Let's say you have to go to a political wedding in D.C., but Pete is busy. Mm -hmm. Who do you bring as your plus one instead? (gasps) Depends on the wedding. Depends on if it's like a wedding where I need to like hobnob and like step in for Pete. I do need to hobnob. You need to step in. Yeah. Mm, Then I have to probably bring a friend who could like hobnob, but also have a good time. I think I have like a pretty good friend who would find the humor in in the situation and also make it entertaining, but the friend that can also like keep it together when not embarrass anybody. You're like talking to an ambassador or something. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good friend to have. His name is Eddie. And Eddie. Yeah. That's like the friend you can like go to the share show with. And also like you could ask him to put on a suit and then like, you know, meet keep, your grandparents, keep it, keep it all pent up inside yeah. <laughs> yeah. for a moment. Like we're going to talk about this afterwards. We just need to get through it. Yeah. You need a friend like that. Well, you have, I guess, won the game that is unwinnable. But thank you so much. This was so much fun, Chastin. I hope our audience loved it. I love this. And can you tell people where they can follow you when your book is coming out? Oh, absolutely. I think your book will be out by the time this 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 episode. Yeah, so it's, it's coming out in paperback on June 1st with a new preface just in time for Pride. Um, you can go to chastinmemoir.com, but I really encourage everyone to please support your local independent bookstore. They've been hit really hard during the pandemic. And if you don't have a local independent bookstore, you can check out bookshop.org or IndieBound. Um, one of my favorite uh, independent bookstores is The Brain Layer in South Bend, Indiana. It's a Black woman-owned Shout business. Out. Yes. Um, and I hope everyone has a happy and joyful pride. It's We're also wrapping up Mental Health Awareness Month. So check in on the people that you love, check in on yourself. Um, And this was really fun. Thank you for having me. I hope we can do it again sometime. Please come back anytime. Even if you don't have a memoir that's that's (laughs) just coming out in paperback. We'll chat anytime. Afternoon Tea is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Our editor is Stacey Wong. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at betches.com. Betches.